Stuck aboard a live export ship, we look into the giant floating show that is the MV Bahija. Animal activists bring a halt to the so-called Lamb National before another U-turn. Pret-a-Manger axes its veggie prets. And how many vegan meals were a result of Veganuary this year? Find out later in this episode. Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex, and this is episode 39 of Vegan Week. Welcome to episode 39 of Vegan Week. We're here once again to look at the week's vegan and animal rights news, discussing the issues that really matter, continuing to broaden our horizons and keep on learning. Yes, indeed. And we're delighted to be doing so in partnership with the 100% vegan business Fire and Flow Coffee. If you love great coffee, want to spend your money with vegan businesses and love a cheeky discount, head over to fireandflowcoffee.co.uk Enter the code FALAFEL10, that's FALAFEL10, at the checkout to get 10% off your order. Right, let's get on with it. Enough of the FALAFEL, it's vegan news time. Let's do it! So, as we did last week, we're going to absolutely whiz through about a dozen stories super, super quick. And then afterwards, we'll pick a couple of these to examine in a bit more detail, including our main story for the week, the ongoing saga of the MV Bahija, the live export ship housing 15,000 live animals in a heatwave in Australia. Indeed. So let's start off with news directly affecting non-human animals right now. The BBC has reported that organisers of a carnival have cancelled a lamb race following a backlash from animal rights activists. The Lamb National, which has taken part in shows across England, had been booked for Barton Carnival in June. Ben Troop, organiser of the Lincolnshire event, said that the committee had been branded animal abusers online. He said that the race had been cancelled to spare volunteers torrents of abuse. However, a couple of days later, they changed their mind and the event is back on. Animal rights activists have decried the brutal culling of a bear by forestry police in Trentino, Italy, following orders from the president of the mountainous northern province. M90, a brown bear, was deemed to be a danger to public security after the animal was alleged to have intentionally followed people on three occasions, most recently a couple of hikers. The, quote, excessively confident bear, who was identified by its radio collar and ear markings, was also seen on 12 occasions in residential areas or in the immediate vicinity of permanent dwellings, provincial authorities said. In Japan, animal welfare organisations are urgently appealing to the government to rescue a pod of at least 13 orcas. The animals are trapped in floating ice off the coast of Hokkaido, northern Japan. And finally, the Animal Reader reports that the H5N1 strain of bird flu killed over 200 penguin chicks and a few adults, according to the Scientific Committee on Antarctic Research. It's the first time the virus has been found in Gentoo penguins, raising concern that it could spread among Antarctica's huge penguin colonies. Pret-a-Manger is set to axe their last three vegetarian-only stores and convert them into normal outlets. 
The move will bring an end to the concept that was introduced eight years ago. At its peak, there were 10 stores serving only vegetarian and vegan options across the UK, which included salad bowls and, yes, you've guessed it, falafel sandwiches. In better news, Danish fashion brand Jani has exhibited special edition bags made with a plant-based fur alternative at Copenhagen Fashion Week. Claimed to be the world's first fully plant-based fur alternative, the material is called Savian and contains fibres from plants such as nettles, flax and hemp. It's entirely free of plastics and can be coloured using natural dyes. And finally in the US, Impossible Foods have announced a milestone in partnership with the US military with the US Army Central now poised to introduce Impossible's plant-based meat products into its dining facilities overseas in the coming weeks. Impossible explained to Veg Economist that the initiative comes as a result of the growing demand for more plant-based meal options across the military. Lots of campaign news this week and a real variety too. First up in Indonesia, the world's third largest democracy, Presidential and legislative elections will be held on the 14th of February and Francine Wijojo is hitting the campaign trail with cats and treats in hand to run as a Jakarta legislative candidate and raise awareness of animal cruelty along the way. One of the issues that I'll be fighting for is for Jakarta to be a pet-friendly city, she said. In the UK, pupils at Shiplake College aim to plant-based lunch as part of Veganuary. A total of 38 students and 23 members of staff ate the vegan meal. Students who tried the lunch were given Eco Points, an extension of the school's excellence points, which reward academic progress and good behaviour. Peter are in full flow too now as well. Ahead of the Super Bowl, activists accompanied by a pair of giant inflatable babies armed with signs that read, if you can read this, you're too old for breast milk, handed out free Baby Bell plant-based cheese snacks. They also offered UK celebrity Katie Price £5,000 to stop owning her pets and also caused quite a stir by urging a Kansas Funfair ride company to cease manufacturing rides featuring animal designs as it unintentionally celebrates exploitation. And for more on Peter's campaigns and whether or not they are effective, tune in to Thursday's vegan talk show where we will be discussing more or less that very subject. Talking of effectiveness, vegan dating app Vegly conducted a survey which revealed that cowspiracy was deemed the most effective vegan documentary. And post-veganuary, stats suggest that around 25 million people experimented with veganism across countries such as the UK, the US, Germany, Italy, Spain, France, Austria, Switzerland and Chile during the month of January. Veganuary themselves said that they provided direct assistance to more than 1.8 million individuals attempting a month-long vegan lifestyle through its complementary resources. To finish our news summary, let's look at the week's studies and research. According to a new study based in Sweden, even processed vegan foods are better for the planet than animal products. Sustainability benefits of transitioning from current diets to plant-based alternatives or whole food diets was published in Nature Communications Journal. Plant-Based News reported a study led by Dr Randy Haas, an archaeologist and assistant professor of anthropology at the University of Wyoming, suggesting that early humans ate mostly plants, challenging received wisdom about the paleo diet. 
archaeological digs in the Peruvian Andes unearthed new information on the diets of so-called hunter-gatherers. While most people think of early humans as eating meat-heavy diets, evidence suggests that they may in fact have been predominantly plant-based. And finally, research funded by the British Academy, the Royal Academy of Engineering and the Royal Society will aim to identify and mitigate potential risks associated with the broader availability of cell-based meat. Researchers will assess the technical aspects of production, such as cost and energy requirements, waste disposal and the environmental impact. It will also consider threats to farming jobs and explore how the law can protect people when cultured meat is exported between countries. Right, okay, lots to take in there. Now, all of those stories can be read in more detail by following the links in our show notes. We've not got enough time to look at all the stories in detail, but Alex and I are going to pick out a story each that we want to talk about, and then we'll focus on our main story for the week. So, Alex, you up first. Which one of these stories caught your eye in particular this week? I wanted to talk about the Land National story. It's a small company run by Mr Bob Hogg, he, he takes lambs who are bought at auction and then does sheep races across England. The committee of the Barton Festival have then been branded as animal abusers online and they cancelled the lamb national booking. A few days later, they've announced on Facebook that they've received documentation from Mr Hogg that they're happy with the safety and well-being of the lambs and the events back on. It's a difficult one because I don't necessarily agree with people being harassed or insulted, which uh, they claim they have been. I don't think it's a good look for veganism. However, having researched and looked at the event, it's clearly not okay. People are saying that these are Herdwick sheep and that it comes naturally to them, naturally to them, just because they have the ability to jump. It doesn't mean that it's okay to dress them up, put them in collared bibs with little stuffed toys on them, have a border collie, herd them several times around a track and get them to jump over hurdles. Some of the arguments in favour of the event have been really weird as well. When they announced that the event was back on, the Barton Carnival said that all the sheep that take part are bought at auction where they otherwise would have ended up in the food chain. With only 8 in 100 male sheep making it over a year old, you could suggest these sheep are the lucky ones. I mean, surely we don't get to play God with these animals' lives and then state that luck has anything to do with it. And to finish, there were some people saying that it might have been a publicity stunt. I'm not sure if that's the case, but they've got a lot of publicity out of it. And what do you think? I think the main thing that came across when looking at this story was the fact that you've got a group of people in a rural community where exploiting animals is normalised. Animals are normally killed needlessly for people's food. They, they, they can eat other things but they choose to not just eat these animals, but be, be part of an industry that's that's doing so. And I get that culturally that's from hundreds of years of, of culture and succession in their society. I'm not saying they're bad people, but that's how entrenched and how normalised it is. So we can't be surprised that they can't see anything wrong with sheep running around a field, jumping over a few hurdles. And you can understand why they think, oh, well, those sheep are quite lucky, actually. However, like as enlightened, educated people in the 21st century, you know, we ought to be at the peak of humanity. I really would hope that we can look at some of these arguments a bit more rationally. And what what is at question here is whether or not something is ethical 
that's what the debate is you know e- even by these by people locals commenting on the facebook post they are debating whether it's ethical or not and they they're saying it is ethical however if that is the question and that is a philosophical question let's come up with a hypothetical situation where um in this village children are being imprisoned and tortured okay let's pretend that's happening instead and that's part of the carnival now let's hear some of the objections that people are raising to this event being temporarily cancelled and see whether it stacks up. So a one bit in the news article said, BBC Look North struggled to find anyone in Barton who was against it. That's irrelevant. It's disappointing that a community event such as this has been targeted by online abuse with organisers being left in fear. It's irrelevant. It's it's wrong. Like It, it doesn't matter if the organisers are feeling a bit put out. And finally, organisers shouldn't be subjected to these objections because they're all volunteers on the committee after all. Doesn't matter if it's wrong, does it? Like, all of these things are irrelevant. The fact that it's a small event, it's a community event, it's irrelevant if actually the act itself is wrong. And like you said, Alex, like, it's not natural, is it? Like, they're they're making out that these Herdwick sheep just naturally wake up in the morning and like, do you know what I want to do? I want to be chased by a collie round and round in circles, jumping up over hurdles. Like, that's not the case, is it? Uh, the, the, The final thing that really annoyed me on this was the statement by, I think it was the Countryside Alliance, who said that a lamb national is completely harmless and enjoyed by lambs and people alike. We'll put a link in the show notes to a video of previous editions of the Lamb National. The lambs are not experiencing that event in the same way as the humans, are they? No, absolutely not. No, like the the, the lambs, when, when they finish, they don't have that kind of, you know, that finish when you finish a park run and you sort of bend over and you go, oh, goodness, oh, wow, well done, everyone. You know, they, they, they stop and then they look around in fear at like, what's the next thing that's going to happen to me? They would probably just be thinking, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Because there's, you know, there's big microphones shouting out and giving commentary and people laughing and cheering and clapping. There's still a dog nearby that they'll 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 have learnt that. Well, what what does this dog want? It's it's tricky, and, and we will be kind of discussing this sort of thing in in Thursday's edition of Vegan Talk because sometimes as vegans we can get um, decried for picking on really small ridiculous things to get upset about, but actually like. Peter have said in their comment on this issue, these sheep are not consenting to this and it is wrong and they are being exploited for profit, for entertainment, is not in the sheep's interest. And so our options are don't speak up about it or speak up about it and be kind of vilified for picking on seemingly petty issues where, well, the animal's not even dying. They're they're lucky. Why are you making a big deal of it? Do you think there's a chance that people were sort of targeting the organisers? They were being quite abusive to them? Because we we know what, you know, trolls can be like and it can get nasty online. Yeah, it it can. And I have looked on their Facebook page and I can't see the initial post, the initial comments and things like that. I can only see the the comments in the most recent U-turn where they've said, oh, the event's back on again. My feeling is if there's actual trolling, if there's actual abuse, then of course that should be reported to the police. But I think we have to recognise that often when carnists or, or anybody in, in who, who live their lives by the dominant ideology in the dominant way have objections made to that, very often people can be very defensive. And all you need to say is, God, how can you eat that 
poor defenseless animal that's that's barbaric and people can say that they're being abused that's not abuse now it's difficult for us to say because we don't know what's actually been said but i would of, of course I, I don't defend anyone actually like really harassing or being you know really personal or, or targeting people in that way i'm just wondering whether that has happened because i just kind of feel like if if people had received death threats, we would have heard about that. Yeah, that's true. And it said in the article that they couldn't see any locals who objected to it. So therefore, the people who are protesting are people from outside the region. So how could they be making personal comments? There was a thing where they said, oh, some of it was getting quite personal. Well, it's not personal because they they don't know you. So how can it possibly be personal? And also, what is more personal than saying to a sheep, you have to do what I want you to do so that I can make money and so that people can come along and say, isn't this brilliant and fun? That's pretty personal for the sheep. We're talking about getting personal. I'm getting quite cross about this one. <laughs> anyway, Anthony, what about you? Which of these stories captured your attention over the others? Well, I mean, there, there were lots of really interesting ones. I'd, I'd love to have time to talk about all of them. I'm going to go for these Italian bears, though, which seem to be getting themselves into a lot of trouble. And indeed, in this instance, one has been killed. It seems that a few years ago in Italy, in mountainous regions, bears have been introduced. I think they were brought over from Slovenia, a bordering country, because their population was dwindling. So bears have been brought over, but actually now humans are deciding, well, actually, no, we don't like bears because some of them have been following us. And going back to our original reading of the story, an excessively confident bear was seen on 12 occasions, you know, it, it doesn't take much for these wild animals to be decried as, as a horrific risk to humanity and the only solution is that we kill them. And the only reason we're there is because we decided, wasn't it a shame, that in these beautiful rural regions that would have originally had these bears as a native species, we've driven them out, hunted them and, and killed them through our ways of life. So it's it's quite saddening that there are lots of stories in, in researching this. There have been several instances in the last few years where humans and bears have rubbed up against one another. Or, like I say, it's more just like the bear is existing and a human's got close to it and the bear has behaved in a natural way. And the humans are going, oh, that's not OK. I just want you to be two miles away where I can't see you. But I still want to be able to come up to the mountains and go hiking and go running and blah, 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 blah. There was an instance where a bear a couple of years ago was was sentenced to death, but then enough people protested. So that's quite reassuring that there's there does seem to be dissenting voices to this import of bears and then just killing them because we've changed our mind. So that's reassuring. But it's it's just really sad and it, it, it seems like the, the people of Italy and the, and the authorities who are making these decisions can't decide whether they want wildlife or not. I'm not an expert at these things, so I, I can't make any practical suggestions with any scientific backing. I mean, I was listening to an episode of, of Species Unite, uh, uh, the great vegan podcast last week, and they were talking about different wildlife reserves in Africa, where you've got similarly animals that can be very aggressive if they're sharing their space with human beings but they are kept safe it, it's it's valued I, I wonder whether that's because in Africa that that the, the tourism industry that centers around visiting those animals is is so important to them 
Whereas maybe Italy thinks, oh, well, our, our economy can keep going even if there are no bears. Let's just shoot them all. Maybe that's that. But then there must be solutions of, of having a, a beautiful rural mountainous area that bears live in where they're being left alone. I mean, it does it does seem to be a particularly emotive issue because of incidents that have happened recently. And obviously, in anything where a human is significantly scared, threatened, traumatised, injured, or even killed, that is a big deal, uh, in the same way that if, if those things happen to a bear is a big deal. But I mean, last year, a runner, Andrea Pappy, who was 26, was mauled to death by a bear whilst Andrea was jogging along a mountain path close to his village. I mean, in, in instances like that, it's difficult to know what should be done, really. Yeah, and I assume it would be well known that there's bears in the area. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we I, it's, we shouldn't we shouldn't laugh because pe- people have been killed, but it it does it does feel a bit comical that it's his village. It, he lived there. Yeah, like you say, you would have thought you'd know that there are bears yeah, nearby. Yeah, I, I would but, ask you not to jog through that area. And maybe go somewhere a bit safer. Mm. It just feels like we're laughing at him and we're not. No, no. It's it's a very serious thing. But then I'm sure there'd be a way to maybe make it safer. Like, could you fence off that air, I don't know, somewhere? Well, so well, the bears is... couldn't get onto the road or get into pedestrian areas. Well, this is what I mean with wildlife reserves in Africa. You know, you've got lot, lots of animals there that could could cause a lot of harm to humans and i mean i'm i'm sure it does happen it it probably just doesn't reports of it don't don't make it this far perhaps in a sort of eurocentric way we're hearing about this because it's happening in italy and not zambia it seems a real shame that either naively these bears have been introduced into an area in which they can't live harmoniously with humans and of course the humans are going to be the ones that use their power to ultimately quote win that that sort of friction or, or overcome that friction so either they've been introduced irresponsibly or it could have worked but they've just not put the infrastructure in place like you say fencing or guards or i don't know it, it, it just strikes me as one of these situations like like an oil slick or something like this this is a problem of our own causing we've caused this problem and, and actually we need to solve it in the right way not the quickest way Shooting the bear is the quickest way, isn't it? It's the easiest way. Yeah. But it's not the right way. No, not at all. Um, and so, like I say, I'm, I'm heartened by the, the protests and uproar that there have been in some cases, but but clearly not in all. So fingers crossed um, there are enough, enough of us out there shouting in favour of the bears that this shooting of bears who are just a bit too confident and have been seen a handful of times doesn't become the de rigueur policy. Okay. Now let's look at the week's main story. I've got to say, not necessarily any more positive at all. In fact, probably no, it's not, is it? far less. I think if I had to choose between mountainous Italian region where I might get shot if I look a bit too confident and get a bit too close to any joggers or being stuck with the other 15,000 animals on the MV Bahija live export ship, I know which I would choose. So that is our main story this week. The ship, the MV Bahija, it's been a floating hell for over 15,000 animals. It's been an ongoing saga for the last month. On January the 5th, it set sail from Australia with sheep and cattle on board being taken to Israel, where they would, of course, be unloaded and slaughtered soon after they 
disembarked. However, as we reported last week, the ship then turned around after threats that it could have been attacked by Yemeni rebels. So first up, what's the latest on the story, Alex? What's happened since last week? So the most immediate issue for some animals is that according to Australia's chief veterinary officer, a small number of sheep on board the MV Bahija have died, which is horrible news. While they're all to be slaughtered anyway, we can speculate that the natures of their deaths on board a ship for over a month in a heatwave must have been horrible. We're expecting the ship to be unloaded at Fremantle Dock in Australia in the middle of a severe heatwave as the exporters continue their fight to ship the animals back to Israel. Exporters proposed an alternate route on a journey that would avoid the Red Sea but take nearly twice as long. However, this was denied on Monday night by the Federal Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, thankfully. In Australia, this whole saga is rumbling on. It seems to be no nearer to being resolved and it just highlights what an atrocious industry this is. Yeah, and it's. I think what's clear as well is the the contradictions and the hypocrisies of all of this. You know, they're discussing welfare issues. Everyone seems to be up in arms. Gosh, these animals are, you know, it's a heat wave and there's there's loads of them stuck on this ship. Well, no one was protesting when they were put on the ship in the first place. That I, I don't know what the temperature is like in Israel at the moment, but, you know, I imagine it's not freezing cold. People are protesting things that you know, it's it's pretty horrific in the first place. If you, I mean, we look. Neither of us knew much about live export, did we? But like, there are videos out there showing what it's it's like, and it's it's horrific, isn't it? Yeah, it's really awful. I I had no idea they were exported in such large number. I mean, it's all just been a very sad learning experience for me, really. Mm. And the, I mean, the, the one that was kind of linked to this story on, I want to say like ABC News Australia, but I might be wrong there. It was showing a converted a car ferry that had been turned into a live export ship and it had like five or six decks yeah. of these animals, most of them not getting natural light. What, what an absolute hell that is. They're also having people saying they're concerned about animals dying. You know, it, it was reported on Sky News that, yeah, a few... The chief veterinary officer said a few animals have have actually died. I mean, what what do we think these animals were going to do anyway? What what was going to happen once they got off the ship anyway? Yes, it's a worse death we could argue, but like, come on, let's let's put these things in perspective. I think the main issue here is that these animals are said to be worth around two million dollars in total. That's why there's such a fuss. Obviously, the animals are worth a lot to the farmers financially, so we can understand why they're feeling crossed that they'll be sent back to Australia. It isn't just Australia that are exporting animals to other countries. Over 8 million farm animals are transported long distances within the EU every year, with some journeys taking three days or more, though this Australian one was 30. Days. Yeah, I think even if they were, even if they arrived on time, it would have been 30 days. Which is just so sad, isn't it? Mm. Annually, over 3 million cattle, sheep, and pigs are exported from the EU to other countries. Many are destined for Turkey, the Middle East, and North Africa. Yeah, and I, I think what a lot of the news stories were, were saying was actually live export that go to countries with differing welfare standards. You could argue that's that's even worse for them. I mean, it's not a point I'd make because I, I just think it's irrelevant. The, the whole thing is is pointless, needless and, and horrific. Do you think there is a there's a silver lining 
to this story, Alex, because I mean, a lot of the news reports, when you watch the sort of two minute shorts on YouTube that are clips from Sky News Australia and ABC News and things like that, they're saying what a bad bit of PR this is for the Australian live export industry, the environment, the Australian farming department for for the government. They've come under a lot of fire for it. It's already an industry. Live export is already a contentious issue. Australia is already coming under pressure to to stop it. So could we see that as a as a positive of this? That it's it's horrific, of course, for those animals. But it's, if it's getting it more in the spotlight, could we be getting closer to a tipping point? Yeah, absolutely. And more more people are seeing it. More people will be talking about it. It's slow, slow progress. But the more that we see of these things, it's it, it can be a win, can't it? Yeah, it can. And, and for anyone who wants a call to action here, uh, Compassion in World Farming, the RSPCA, Peter, they've all got links on their website that direct you to petitions, not just for the UK government, for, for you know, for whatever government affects your corner of the world, to to end live export. Like we say, if uh, if no one was exploiting animals for for food or for any other purpose, then we wouldn't need to end live export because there there, there wouldn't be a need. So we kind of need to fight on fight on all sides but we'll put links into the show notes for, for anyone who wants to you know have a, a bit more of a direct influence on these things there are petitions out there with a lot of backing and kind of similar to a lot of these campaigns that we seem to mention on the show like that it, it feels like they're on the way out these things we basically don't live export in this country anymore though it is legal how is it it's legal to do so, but because of... I mean, there, there weren't huge numbers. Obviously, it matters to those animals who were being exported. But post-Brexit, the main the main route to Calais, Dover to Calais, is, is not, not used anymore. Right, OK. But it is, it is legal. So if, for whatever reason, we decided that a, a different shipping route could be set up and, and, and people agreed to it in the various countries and, and, and international waters and things like that, then it's it's not illegal. But we are seeing countries ban it, aren't we? Like, I think New Zealand last year banned it. Yeah, and it's, like I say, it's, there is increasing pressure to stop it and the, the numbers as a proportion of the, the number of animals who are killed on land, if that makes sense, um, or, or stay in the, the country that they were born and, and raised in. It's a tiny proportion. So it, I think in a sense then it's easier for people to campaign for and to say, well, I want this practice to stop because actually I can still keep eating meat if live export stops. So I can afford to say that that's bad, if that makes sense. Yeah, fingers crossed it'll soon be a thing of the past. Okay, well, time's getting on, so we'll now bring this week's show to an end. Do let us know your thoughts on what we've discussed, or indeed the stories we've touched upon but not dived into in more detail. Are you going to be going to the Barton Carnival? Watch the Lamb National? I can't say. Maybe I should go protest. Yeah, absolutely. Go rescue the sheep. Yeah, give give some, quote, abuse to the organisers by saying, I don't think you should do this. Mm. And then they'll go, oh no! abused we shouldn't say that really i mean they might have actually had some really nasty things said to them but i'm skeptical anyway is there anything we've missed this week or in fact got completely wrong let us know your opinions yes we'd love to hear from you send your thoughts on these or any other vegan or animal rights news out there 
Get in touch with us by email at enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com. We're also on Enough of the Falafel at Facebook, Instagram or TikTok where you can get little sneak previews on the news we're covering in each episode. Anyway, as we hinted at earlier in this episode, on Thursday morning when Vegan Talk drops, you'll be able to hear a conversation between myself and Alex about Peter and Palworld. Lots of P's for the podcast microphone to deal with there. We're going to be talking about veganism and video games and whether a video game that seems to involve animal exploitation or depicts animal exploitation or even not even real animals, are they, on Palworld? No, they're made up monsters. Mm, whether that counts as exploitation and whether it's not a particularly vegan thing to do or whether it promotes the exploitation of animals. Anyway, I'm not going to say any more. Tune in from Thursday onwards. Vegan Talk, that is where you'll get that. And also remember, there's 10 episodes of the Going Vegan series up for you to check out if you haven't already. Right, that's enough of the falafel of this week's vegan news. I've been Alex. And I've been Anthony. And this has been episode 39 of Vegan Week. This show is kindly sponsored by our friends at Fire and Flow Coffee Roasters. And they're such great people. They're offering all enough of the Falafel listeners a cheeky 10% off orders on their online store when using the code FALAFEL10. That's FALAFEL, the number 10. Fire and Flow are specialty coffee roastery based in the Cotswold with a fully vegan coffee shop on site. Yeah, they're a vegan founded company too. They're run by three friends, Shah, Callum and Phil, and they specialise in roasting and supplying wholesale coffee beans to coffee shops, restaurants, hotels and offices. For the wholesale part of their operations, they work with other businesses to help them get the most out of their coffee offering, with free barista training and full technical support included. The products themselves are the result of their passion for working with skilled and ethical-minded farmers who produce the highest quality beans. Fire and Flow then roast them to perfection in small batches at their roastery in Sirencester, which you can visit at any time book onto one of their barista courses or roastery tours via their website fireandflowcoffee.co.uk While you're there, you can check out the beautiful, fully vegan coffee shop on site. I've been there myself. It's absolutely brilliant and it's open seven days a week from nine till three. The last time I went, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was glorious. It's just a fab place to hang out and feel good about life. Give them a follow on Instagram to get the latest at fireandflowcoffee. And for those online orders, remember the code exclusively for our brilliant Enough of the Falafel community. That is Falafel 10. 10 is 1 and 0. So Falafel 1 0.